Welcome back to No Idea, the podcast where you have no idea what we're going to talk about, and we have no idea how it's going to go. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited to bring a new episode to you guys, and I'll be interviewing one of my friends, Drew Lang. I'm sorry, Pastor Drew Lang. Go ahead, say hello. Oh my. <laughs> hello. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> so, Drew, why don't you just take a moment, introduce yourself to the people. Yeah, uh, my name is Drew Lang. I'm a youth pastor in Cape Coral, Florida at Golfside Church, which is a non-denominational church that meets in a high school. Uh, we've been around for four years. I've actually uh, been a youth pastor going on my third year. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, I met the love of my life and married her. She is way out of my league. And we actually, uh, so I don't know if you know this, Jenny, uh, we have uh, twins right now. Uh, we, she just gave birth four months ago, and they are the cutest kids ever. I, I might be a little bit biased about that, but... Uh, Maybe a little, yeah. I think I have the right to be biased about my kids. Yes. <laughs> well, that's my right. I'm entitled to that right. <laughs> I'm entitled to be biased. <laughs> and we actually just learned this as we were talking before this podcast, but I got married on the day that your kids were born. <laughs> yes, which... Definitely does not scream of foresight and planning right there. Yes. And you were like, did you do that on purpose? I was like, yep, you caught me. <laughs> yeah. Your, your whole marriage life is just trying to mimic my kids' lives. Yeah, exactly. What are their names, by the way? Uh, yeah. So uh, the boy's Ryder, uh, Ryder Ross Lang, and then the girl is Reese Renee Lang. Oh, all the R's. So yeah, cute. that's my wife's idea. I'm not that creative. <laughs> yes, you did marry up then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Drew, let's tell them, as in the people listening, how we met and became friends. I would say, actually, I was trying to think, and you were like, do you remember? And I was like, well, do I? Um, we were in the same youth group at the same time, yeah, grew up in yeah. the same church. But I think that we, like, met on my very first mission trip, and we went to El Salvador, and I think that you, we were just so both so awkward in different ways because, of course, we were in middle school middle at the time. School. <laughs> <laughs> just the cringy years, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was about the same time that I think we met. Uh, although I also think that we didn't talk to each other because we were also in different friend groups. And you know how middle school is. When you're in a different friend group, it's like that person is in a different continent. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so I think that's the first time I met you. And I think the very first time I had a conversation was actually like one or two years afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and then I think about two years ago or something, I interned at that same youth group coming back from college for the summer. And then yeah. you were also working there, but like as the full-time intern, right? Yeah, yeah. That was my uh, final couple months of interning at the same church before I uh, got hired at this position right here. So uh, it was actually, I'll, I'll be honest, like from an outside perspective, it was really cool seeing, not 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 to like butter you up, Jenny, but it, it was cool seeing you as a middle school student growing up and then becoming an intern to affect more middle school students. And, and the way that like you've grown over the last five or 10 years has been honestly really incredible. Like, uh, no, again, not to butter you up, but I feel like you're the model youth student or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the butter. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, <so> crazy. <laughs> it's more when like margarine. In, yeah, you're in middle school. Life is just so much harder than people realize. So I think that in interning that summer, I was like, I think I actually have a passion for youth ministry because 
I just remember that time so clearly and it was hard, but it was also the time where I met the Lord. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, honestly pretty rare to find uh, maybe not adult leaders, but just uh, people that care about middle school students and what they're going through and are willing to listen. So finding someone like you who does that and, and truly cares about them. Uh, not only great acquisition for the church at the time, but I think it was really helpful and impactful for a lot of the middle school students. Yeah, thank you. And also you as you're going on to be a youth pastor. So props <laughs> to you. So today, guys, we're going to be talking about the topic of life after salvation. Um, and this was Drew's idea that this was his something that he's so passionate about that he wanted to talk about and could expound on more. So, Drew, why did you pick that topic and why is it so important to you? Oh, man, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, well, to be honest, I think that there's an epidemic of churches and church culture where we really push and focus on bringing people in to get saved, bringing all new people in, going out and doing outreach ministry, which there's not an issue with that. In fact, if your church isn't focused on outreach ministry or focused on reaching your community, then, I mean, in my opinion, you're not really truly reading the words of Jesus where he says, go out into all the world, preach the gospel in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which in reference to Jesus is, you know, your local town, and then slightly beyond that, and slightly beyond that before you reach the ends of the world. So reaching people is important, but there comes a moment in their life, in their Christian life, where they have heard all the rhetoric, they've seen the relationship that you have with Jesus, and they choose to follow in this path of following Jesus. And then oftentimes, at least in my opinion, specifically in youth group culture, they just kind of end up there like, okay, I'm saved. And is that it? It, Have I finished? Am I arrived? Am I perfect? And the issue is that Jesus himself focused more on the sanctification walk of a person than just the salvation walk. The salvation was important. And it was something that like he wanted people, he wanted people to know his love. But then he was also completely willing to walk with the disciples for three years before he left them. So I think that in church culture, we need to have this balance of pushing for people to get saved, but once they get saved, help grow them, nurture them and push them forward. So truthfully, at some point, they, they don't need us as mentors who brought them up and helped them get saved that they can just kind of run on their own because they have their deep root system in Christ. Right. That makes total sense. And it's really hard when you first become a Christian, you're like, okay, now what I do. So it's so helpful, of course, as disciples of Christ to have those people we can look at and be like, okay, they've grown so much. So let me look to them and imitate kind of what they're doing, which is exactly what the disciples did. They followed Jesus and then they just imitated Jesus to other people. Yeah. And I mean, so here's where this really became real to me. Uh, I had a a boss who he said that the very first time that he came in church, he saw people worshiping and raising their hands. And his first thought was, who are they singing to? And for me, as someone who has grown up in church basically his entire life and knows the rhetoric, for me, it's so simple. Like, oh, they're, they're worshiping Jesus. But for the outside person who just gets saved, they either won't understand that or if they do understand it, they don't get the importance and the impact and the reason why people raise their hands. And unfortunately, we don't do a good job teaching it or that we don't have the systems in place to teach that. So I, I think that's where it really became important to me of like, wow, there are things that not taken for granted, but I just assume people understand and, mm-hmm. and they don't. 
or I also assume that after a while people will figure it out. But the truth is you don't just stumble into figuring things out. Usually you just stumble into failure constantly. So oh, yeah. if I can do whatever I can to help people at least read, you know, give them the tools to read the Bible, to understand what it means, to seek out God, let them know that like they can pray to him whenever they, that they want and he will listen. Teaching that is way more important to me than just giving you some biblical facts about who Jesus is and what he's done. And what is the difference, would you say, between salvation and sanctification? Yeah, uh, so and I just need to preface this. This is at least the way I understand it. And in my opinion, there's probably scholars or other pastors that have a way deeper understanding of this. So, you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt. But uh, salvation is that moment where you accept Jesus into your heart and I got, I got to back up for a second because the phrase accept Jesus into your heart to a non-Christian makes no sense. Like no one can get into your heart, but also it, it doesn't fully describe the whole process. The, the process of salvation is recognizing that on your own, you don't deserve life that through the wages of your sin is death. It says in Romans three twenty three and Romans six twenty three, where all sin leads to death and everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. And through the gift of Jesus, of living the perfect life that we can never live, and then dying the death that we deserved, he took the, the punishment that we deserved and put it on himself. So we've been given a free gift of eternal life. So when you uh, are being saved or you're doing the call of salvation or you're accepting Jesus into your heart, you're saying that, Lord, I understand what you've done for me on the cross. I understand that the way that I was living my life was incompatible with life thereafter or eternal life, that I deserve death and destruction. And I also understand that what you have done on the cross has freed me from that responsibility of death and destruction that I so richly deserve. So you understand what Jesus has done. And in order to accept him in your heart, it's, I think like, I forgot exactly what the Greek word is, but the phrasing is to change your mind and to change uh, transition in the sense of you were going to live your life one way, but now you're going to choose to live another way. And, and the best example I can give of this is you can say you love someone, but I can always tell what you love by the way that you live, by the way that you talk about that person, by the way you act around that person. So accepting Jesus into your heart is understanding that I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve it. I've been saved by Jesus. And now because of that salvation, because he's done so much for me, I'm going to live my entire life for him. And that is shown by the way that you act and live. Are you following me so far? Like, Oh, I'm with you. You just keep okay. on going. Cool. So that's salvation. Now, sanctification is the after the fact, because you could be a murderer that hates Jesus, hates life itself, and then accepts Jesus, but you still have murder charges against you. You have the initial eternal punishment of sin completely wiped away from your life, but you still have the physical consequences that you have to deal with now from your sin life. For some of us that were addicted to pornography or lying or, or, or along those lines, you are no longer a sinner, so you have the ability and the strength that comes from God to conquer that, but you're still dealing with some of the side effects of it, which is, you know, mild addiction, uh, choosing to say things that aren't true and lead people astray. So while salvation is the accepting of the eternal life of Jesus and choosing to live from, uh, to turn away and to live at, like Jesus, sanctification is walking that out on a daily basis. 
And I think the reason why we kind of get those mixed up is that salvation is actually kind of fun. Like, oh, it's a big deal that someone accepts Jesus. Like, that's an awesome thing. And then it's a one-time moment, but sanctification is the rest of your life. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort, and also takes a lot of time revealing the fact that you're actually not that good of a person. You have to improve a lot. So maybe that's one reason why we don't do a good job talking about sanctification and the way to really get sanctified. Or the other way that I'll put it is like Jesus spent three years with the disciples. He spent time. He broke bread with them. He walked through them. You could probably say that they were possibly saved beforehand or maybe they were saved after the the cross. And truthfully, like, I don't understand the theology behind when they were saved. So I'm not going to go into that. But Jesus thought it was important to spend time with the 12 disciples, specifically three years before he sent them out. He thought it was important to grow them and nurture them before they were out, before they're sent out and ready to do the work of God. So I think that if Jesus thought it was important and Jesus spent that much time, then we need to spend as much time with new Christians about how to do that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. The initial moment where they picked up their stuff and followed Jesus was like a one day, one time thing. And then for the rest of their lives, they were working on becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think that we should celebrate that as a church. Uh, Man, it's awesome that you, you recognize that by your own you can't do anything and that jesus loved you so much that he died for you like that's a big deal and we should celebrate that i'm not saying that we shouldn't but what i am saying is that what do we do after that (laughs) you know you turn 18 once and we celebrate when you turn 18 but now you got to be responsible Mm -hmm. and you already mentioned it but the phrase that we use we throw around we say oh they accepted jesus into their hearts that is indicating like okay this person received salvation and they got saved but that i think that that phrase is a little bit misleading because it implies that all we had to do was just say yes and then that's the end of it and i guess that is the end of it for salvation but then what do we do after that you know yeah exactly uh so i i'm kind of i wouldn't say against but I, as I get older, I'm becoming way more aware of the churchianity or the church lingo that we use that only, yeah. That's so funny. I've never heard that. That describes okay. it perfectly. It's, well, like I can, I can give a million phrases like you're washed by the blood, which to a non-Christian sounds absolutely horrifying or yeah, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like I do not want a bunch of blood to be washed over me while I'm in the shower. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's accept Jesus into your heart where we have these phrases that to us that have been in the church a long time have these deep symbolic meanings and we understand what it is, but to someone that we're actually targeting this for makes no sense at all. Or if it does, it makes sense after a lot of explaining and some like, or even I think the most practical one, not to get off topic, but the most practical one in my life is how do we choose God in every situation? You know, how how does that even work? Like, what what do we even do? do? Do you have like a card that you say, okay, I chose God and you have to mark that down. So I, I personally, your question is part the actual question, but part a bigger issue. The actual question of accepting Jesus into your heart is partially what you say. And that moment of maybe saying the sinner's prayer, although that's big in some denominations and not big in other denominations. So that's more of a denominational thing, by the way. 
But where it gets really interesting is the actual idea of accepting Jesus into your heart is not just what you say, but it's what you do. Because we all understand this. We we believe like, it, man, if you, the person that just starts dating someone, you can tell that they're like, they've fallen in love because they changed their entire schedule. All they do is start talking about this person. Like everything that they have run their life through now goes through this person. And we understand that, okay, this person actually cares about this other person. They actually are in love. They actually want to hang out with them because that's all that's on their mind. And we approach relationships, we approach work that way, but we don't approach the actual accepting of Jesus as salvation that way. So my theory is if you accept Jesus into your heart, you can say a sinner's prayer, but you don't have to. The real indication of you accepting Jesus into your heart is a complete 180 of your life. Now, the other issue is that we we assume that 180 is, okay, so all the sin issues that I have no longer apply. I'm not going to, I'm just going to cold turkey it. And the truth of the matter is that some sin that you've dealt with as an unsaved person or even as a saved person is so deeply ingrained in you from all the bad habits and all the years that you've done it that you really can't cold turkey it because you're an addicted addict. So turning from Jesus and accepting Jesus into your heart and proving it by your actions isn't just cold turkey your sin, but it's this choice of every day I'm just going to try and get 1% better and understand Jesus 1% more. And if you can choose to make just a small step towards Jesus, as I say, every single day, then in a year, you've run a mile. You just didn't realize it. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so for any new believers who may be listening and they just want to grow and they want to be sanctified and walk in this, um, what would you say are some key steps for them? Yeah, uh, so whenever I get this question, I want to really pose it to have the answer in the Bible first before I give my opinion. So the verse I, I think is is so important for any Christian is Colossians 3, 1 through 10, which I'm, I'll just read it quickly right here uh, from the New, New International Version. It says, since you've been raised to life with Christ. So that's the initial salvation moment where you've chosen Jesus to be the king of your heart. You know, you're going to live for him. Set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, yada, 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 verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and it goes through the earthly nature. And then in uh, verse verse 10, it says, and have put on yourself your new nature, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. So as a typical pastor, I got to give three ways to do this. First one would be that you need to set your mind on things above. So uh, generally the way I can tell the way that you think by the way that you talk, you know, if you're constantly a negative thinker, you talk negatively. And once you get saved and you recognize Jesus as your King and your savior, you need to start setting your mind on things above, like the idea that God is your only strength, that even though everything else can be collapsing around you, he is firm and he will sustain you. So you first off got to start putting your mind on those things. You know, that's a completely different conversation of where our culture has gone with anxiety. But I, I think that a lot of the issues that we deal with is that we've chosen to set our mind on all the sinful and earthly things or the things that just don't truly matter. And we put it as an idol in our lives. And the first thing in this verse is just, can you focus on God? Can you choose to reflect and meditate on what he has for you? And where's the best way to do that? You can Pray and read your Bible. Those are two great ways to do that. So that's the first part. 
The second part, which is harder, is put to death, therefore, whatever belongs for your earthly nature. And in the verse, it says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, uh, which is idolatry. And what's interesting is that the underpoint of this is the phrase, which is idolatry. And our culture is really good at focusing on the really big sins. Like, I think we can all agree that murder is bad. Like, do you agree with that, Jenny? Yes, I would say so. Okay, so we agree murder is bad. And those are the overtly sinful things that we can all say, okay, racism is probably a really bad thing. Let's not do that. Like, that's that's against the Bible, you know. Then mm-hmm. there's a second layer of sin that our culture edifies, but we believers say that it's wrong. So that would be gossip. Like, it's okay to gossip. You're just talking about what you really need to get out of your chest. Like, well, the Bible says no to gossip, you know. So there's that level. And then the third level underneath that is your motives and why you do things. So sometimes, like this is this was my issue for most of high school. I would know a lot about the Bible, not because I actually want to know about the Bible, but because I wanted to seem like the smartest person in the room. So something that is pure, like understanding the Bible and, and getting to know Jesus more, I twisted so that I gain, I gain like uh, pride or like uh, status from that. So that's mm-hmm. the third level of sin. And then deep underneath that, the thing that I think we don't focus on a lot is that we have an idol problem where we've placed things above God in our life. It's not only talking about not cheating on your wife or you know not lying. It's talking about what is your main priority? What have you placed first and foremost on your life? And the truth of the matter is that we can make anything that is good and we can twist it bad because we've placed it as an idol above God. Mm-hmm. So that's the second point of we need to put to death everything about your earthly nature. And that comes with walking with God and him revealing to you all your issues and all your inconsistencies. And that also comes from really good mentorship. So if you, if you, like, if you get anything out of this, like get some good mentors, get some people that are way wiser and older and understand the Bible more and the way to grow more. That's one of the best ways to grow. So there's that aspect. And then the third thing, and this is even harder, so it just gets harder as we go down. The third thing is that you have to put on your new self. So it's not just enough to kill your sin. Like, that's important. <laughs> that's good. Like, that's awesome. But I think the best way to say it is we talk about fasting in the church and how fasting is an important deal. Fasting, if it's just abstaining from food, is nothing new. Anyone can do that. It's just it's just abstaining from things. Where fasting becomes powerful is that you abstain from something and then you fill that with time with Jesus. So it's not just enough to like kill your sin. We need to fill ourselves with the love and the power that is Jesus and everything that he has for us. So I think the real issue with this whole structure is it's very easy to say that we have issues. It's really hard to work them out and it's really hard to work them out in a healthy and safe way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if we say like, we're fasting, quote unquote, but if you're not filling that time with prayer, or, you know, spending time in the word, spending time with the Lord, you're just dieting. <laughs> That's yeah. all the diet. Yeah. And like, look, I'm totally fine. I, I did a diet like three months ago, because I turned out, man, I can't fit one of my shirts. Like dieting is not bad. And fasting is not bad. In the same way that praying is not bad. Praying is one of the best things you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that we as a people, we need to understand that 
the reason why we exist and the reason why we live and breathe and every day is a gift that God has given us. And if we approach it like that, that we don't deserve life, but he's given it to us and he continues to give it to us freely because he loves us. He cares about us so much. And he's done this incredible thing of dying on the cross for people that put him up there. Dying for the very same people that killed him. Then I think we need to come to this understanding of whatever we used to live for and whatever we used to think was important truthfully doesn't matter in the grand scheme of eternity. That you could be the smartest, you could be the fastest person, but if you're not truly for God, then does it really matter? And I'm not saying that you have to give up all your your hobbies, because I think that's important. I think that God uses your hobbies for his glory, but you know, why are you doing them? So there's the aspect of like the the way to do that through the Bible. And then I think there's some very practical ways of doing this as well. Uh, the first one, which I mentioned earlier, is just uh, get, a, get a mentor. Like I cannot stress this enough. Like get a mentor. I'll say it one more time. Get a mentor. <laughs> uh, the disciples had Jesus. Okay. And I, I truly think that the disciples would not have been effective if they didn't have a mentor like Jesus. And I can just look in my life and I can tell you, like, I'm a pastor right now only because I've had so many people in my past that were way wiser and way smarter that were willing to call me out on all my issues, but also uplift me where I needed it. So finding good mentorship is really important. And if you don't have that, I'd recommend going to your pastor or your small group leader or someone in your church that's older and wiser than you. So that's the first aspect. And then I think the second aspect is like in the final part, just starting to fill yourself with the Bible, with prayer, with time with Jesus, uh, the way to empty air from an empty cup is not just to try and like throw the cup around and try to get the air out. It's to fill it with water. It's amazing. And the beautiful thing about sanctification is like, we don't just muster up this like inner strength of ours and be like, I can change. I can really do it. It's now that salvation has happened. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Like the Holy Spirit is the one you rely on to provide this change because we just can't do it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm a, I'm a type A personality. So I'm like, man, you just got to work harder, but here's the truth. We we've lived this incredible lie that we're saved by grace through faith. But afterwards we work out our salvation through all our good works. It's like, we, we say one thing and then we live our completely different life. So let me just make it very easy and kind of blunt, but just the truth. Um, you are not the savior of your own universe. And you cannot save yourself. Mm-hmm. We are we are the product. I, I'll, I'll, I won't even say anyone else. I'll just say me. I am the product of people way wiser, way smarter than me, pouring out their time, their love, and their talent on me. And I'm the product of a savior that loved me when no one else did. And that's I'll the reason that I'm here today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think what you said was so good of you can't. You can't do it on your own. That's why we got saved in the first place. So So what if someone is listening to this and they're not a new believer, but they are a believer and they feel kind of stuck and they're like, I want to grow, but I just feel like I'm not really getting anywhere real fast. So what would you say to them who feel a little stuck or like they're just waiting around? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, first and foremost, you're not alone. Uh, I work in a youth ministry. Uh, this is coming on to my third year. And what you are feeling right now is how like 95% of youth students feel, 95% of the church feels. It's growth 
in general isn't fun and it's not fun to realize like you have a lot of deficiencies like it's really uncomfortable for me i don't i don't always want to hear it but i think that we need to come to a few facts and a few truths the first one is that just because you don't see god moving doesn't mean he's not moving um i i used to hear this a lot of times in college where you know you're just in a dry season you haven't heard god speak to a while to you in a while and i totally get that and i'm i'm never going to downplay that situation but like we have the faith so we we have these truths that god is always working everything out for our good that he's a good and loving father and that he cares for us so the logical conclusion of that truth is even though i don't necessarily see god even though I don't necessarily feel God, even though I don't know what he's doing, he's working out everything, good and bad, for, for joy, for, for my own good, even when I think it's horrible. He's working every single bad issue for my own good. And that's not like a prosperity gospel thing where he's going to give me a, a Tesla and then I'm going to be a, mansion, a millionaire in a mansion. Like, it, it's not bad. It's that Everything that you're going through is designed to push you closer to him and grow you a little bit more. And when you start to realize that just because you don't see him moving doesn't mean he's not moving, it changes the entire way that you view your situation and your struggle. You're no longer like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta wake up and, and live my life and just go through work again. It's like, not to give a personal story about this, but like as a youth pastor, I don't really, you know, get millions of dollars. And with me and my wife having to move and have kids and then she works. So we had to save up for uh, her to be gone for three months. And all of that, when we first found out that she was pregnant was really stressful because the bank account did not match the promise of the kids. Like there was no way we could have physically done it. There was no way we could have physically moved. And I just had this moment where I started to complain. I'm like, God, of course, you would put all this on right now to me, lowly me. How dare you? And then I had this just this moment of I don't know how God's going to work and I don't know how God's going to move, but he has never failed me yet. So why would he stop now? Mm -hmm. And when I started to realize that, I'm like, oh, he'll move. He'll provide. I just don't know how yet. I'm just going to move forward. And let me tell you, I make that sound so much easier, but that was one of the hardest things that we've ever had to do as a couple and anything that I've ever had to do as a person is walk forward financially when we had nothing and we were probably not going to have anything to really help bring these kids into the world. And I can tell you right now, as someone who has two twin has twins right now after four months, that God has provided every second. And the funny thing is that he always provides, but he gives you just enough to get through, but not enough that you stop trusting him. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Wow. Yeah, I'm thinking back to a lot of a lot of situations in my life. I'm like, yep, I yep. Yeah. And you know what? Like I'll just be honest. As a pastor, I should have figured this out by now, but I'm still like, man, I don't know if God's gonna move. I don't know if he's gonna help me. And it's like I just need to be quiet and realize I have the God, the king of the universe, who is on my behalf, who wants to help me in my situation and provide for me. And unfortunately. I'm a human, so I assume that provide means one way. And maybe one provide action means something completely different. Can I trust him? He's never failed me yet. Can I trust him? And truthfully, as a pastor, I have a hard time saying yes. But mm-hmm. as I get older and I choose to say, yes, God, I will trust you, even though what I see doesn't make sense. He hasn't failed me yet. He's, he's never let me down when I really needed him. Yeah. 
see people this is just proof that pastors are just people (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is a completely i could have another podcast on that of people well not people but just you know things where you assume that a pastor is amazing and I'll, i'll be honest like if you have a local pastor in your life i'm just letting you know that guy is probably overworked and underpaid and pushing harder than anyone you ever know. And he never gets recognized or recognition. So as a fellow pastor, if I can, if I can do this, I don't know if I can, if not, she'll just cut me out on here. Uh, as a fellow pastor, like go ahead and tell your pastors that what they're doing matters. Cause it, I've had incredibly horrible days. And then when a student comes up to me and says, Hey, thank you so much for everything you've done. It just puts a new wind in my sails. And you know, we're not doing it for the, affirmation and praise of man but it does help when people notice the sacrifice and notice all that so i can just if i can say that as a pastor i'm just going to well are there any final encouragements or advice that you would give anyone listening who is a new believer or a not new believer but they want to grow anything you would just encourage them with yeah uh i think the the mm, I think the biggest thing would probably just not to lose heart um, and to know that what you're going through right now is, is not brand new. You're not alone. This is not a unique situation. Like there's been many people in history in the Bible uh, locally that, you know, that are going through the exact same thing. And there is a community of believers that loves you, that cares about you and wants to be there for you. So if, if I can just boil all this down to one thing it's that we were designed for community and the church is one of the best ways to get that so i just encourage you open up to your church find someone that you can latch on to and, and fight this thing together with your church family um i think the biggest phrase that we use at my youth group is that you don't have to believe like us to belong the moment you walk in you're already part of the family and every family has like that one weird uncle that no one likes, but he's still <laughs> part of the family. <laughs> so you may be that really weird uncle that you think no one likes you, but you're still loved and welcome at, at the church. Fight whatever you're going through as a family together with your church body. And I'll guarantee you this when you do that, it's more than fighting it on your own. You weren't designed for that. Wow, I want to make that into a quote, put it on a t-shirt. Uh, you might be that really weird <laughs> uncle, but we still love you. Drew, thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom with us and walking us through sanctification, salvation, and why it's important. Because this message is literally for anyone who loves Jesus and who wants to love Jesus more. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, really thank you, Jenny, for being an example of character and what falling after Jesus is like. I, I would just point people to you and say, if you want to know how to grow, talk to Jenny. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for saying that. That would be No Idea Podcast. This is Drew and Jenny signing off. See you next time.